And I will also say this. Once you are alone in an isolated motel with a man and find out that his uh, main hobby is taxidermy, fucking run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do not pass yes. go. Do not collect $200. Just fucking <laughs> run. Yes, I agree. I'm Chris. I'm Amy. And you're at the movies with the madams. Welcome, everyone, to the latest installment of The Sickly Madams. <laughs> yeah, last episode, I wasn't feeling so great. I think I've passed it on to her through the power of the internet. <laughs> oh, if only. No, no. Uh, my husband uh, ate his weight in sugar in Orlando uh, a week and a half ago now. And uh, because of that, trashed his immune system and, and picked up a nasty cold while we were there. And he so kindly... Passed it on to me several days ago. Well, sharing is caring, you know. Uh huh. <laughs> Although it was a lot worse. It was worse for him. He had to take a day off work. But I'm a right. woman, so I don't do that. That and it doesn't. That and it helps that you work from home. I mean, this is true, but it also didn't stop me from doing everything I have to do around the house. I wasn't laying in bed with a man cold for a day. <laughs> And I think that's a good segue, Amy, for uh, today's episode. Men who annoy us. And women getting shit done. Yes. So today is our part two episode of Psycho. So if you have not yet listened to part one, put this on hold. Go back and listen to that one first. Yes, it is a fun episode. We discuss a lot about the culture around the movie and the effect the movie had. And now we're talking about the movie proper. Yeah, and there are a lot of ways to talk about this movie. Obviously, it's a classic. It was transformative. It's covered in Mm -hmm. universities and books. But we, uh, in typical Madam's fashion, we are going to focus on the character study aspect of this because it is fascinating. Yes, and she specifically means about a certain Mr. Bates. And Marion, too. Okay. Yeah, there's so much to say about Marion Crane. I absolutely love her. Mm Mm-hmm. So before we dive into uh, the people characters, we need to talk about an entity that has become like a character in itself in the movie and over time. That's Bernard Herrmann's score. Yes. This score, it's become universal language, especially the murder in the shower. Yeah. And of course, uh, the score is 100% strings. It is Mm -hmm. the best I can describe this score is it's like musical ice. Yeah, it chills your blood. It does. It gets me every time, whether I'm watching the movie or whether I just hear it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right. It is immediately definable. And countless parodies have been made of it. Yeah, yeah. And it elevates the movie in such a way, it's a lot like Jaws in that regard. Mm-hmm. It would be a different movie without the score. It wouldn't be nearly right. as compelling. Yeah, it, uh, it's a lot like the Halloween score, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think Carpenter definitely had this movie in mind when he was uh, writing it. Possible, yeah. And the way the score is used in conjunction with these opening titles, oh God, it's so unsettling. (laughs) Yeah. It reminds me of The Shining too. And again, I have no doubt that Kubrick was also thinking of Psycho at times making The Shining. It's that way he uses the text, the way things are sliding across to just immediately make you uncomfortable. 
And it, without you like even necessarily realizing it, it starts that dread. Yeah. And also for me, while I was watching this with my history and graphic design, seeing the way the text is coming in, obviously they're trying to portray a feeling which, which clearly came through, but it also made me realize just how far we've come even with this. And if this movie were to be made today, how they would have changed the title. You're absolutely right. I don't know what it would have looked like, but they would have tried to do something performatively cool and clever. Well, at that time, this would have been performatively cool and clever. Maybe. I haven't seen enough yeah. classic movies to know, mm -hmm. to judge. I've seen some. I'm not an expert, but this certainly was unique and different. Yeah. And whatever you or we think about him, there's no arguing that Hitchcock was the master of suspense for good reason. Yes. This movie is brilliantly shot. It is edited for maximum tension and it's it's chock full of plants and payoffs. Mm -hmm. Yes. He's a great artist, but he's not a great man. No. Well, I think what we really should say is he's not a good man because that's the old adage, true. right? Great men right. are usually not good men. Yeah, that's true. All right. So let's dive in and we're going to start with uh, Marion Crane and the woman who plays her, Janet Lee. Mm -hmm. Now, to do Marion proper justice, we have to look at her through the lens of 1960 culture. Yeah. And if you do, she doesn't come across great, is what I think. I don't know what the intention was, but from a 1960s lens, I feel like she doesn't come off great. I totally see where you're coming from. And I think you're right because women then wouldn't have the sensibilities we do today. They wouldn't be sitting in the theater saying, yes, queen, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we are. Yes. Yeah. Marion is very much a modern woman born in the wrong decade. Mm -hmm. And I think Janet Lee does a phenomenal job of portraying all of that. Yeah. The fact that she's pushing back and insisting that she wants respectability right at the beginning of the movie shows that she's not just some kind of doormat. Right. As so many women were, because, I mean, this is 1960, so the previous decade is like the height of sexual repression in mm -hmm. modern America. We've got McCarthyism, the Red Scare, got the religious right starting to rise, you know, the Catholics and evangelicals on, on either side of it. There's tons of domestic violence going on behind closed doors that no one's talking about. Mm -hmm. We have women struggling with families they didn't want, lives they didn't want in the midst of the baby mm -hmm. boom. And, you know, a generation of broken men coming home. Yeah. And prior to that, women were in the workforce and then they were forced to go back. So there's that frustration and resentment of losing independence, of going a step back. Absolutely. Several steps back. Yeah, for sure. So in that sense, Marion is a breath of fresh air for some. Absolutely. And then we also, of course, have the sexual double standards. We have slut shaming of women versus the boys will be boys mentality. Right. If you flip the script over here and first off, assuming you don't know how the rest of the movie goes, just in this one scene, we have the two of them in a motel. She's pushing for respectability. He's pushing back and talking about his divorced wife and that bitterness over there. It seems perfectly fine from his angle, but here you could actually think maybe he's lying to her. Maybe she's having an affair. Maybe she doesn't know. Yeah. And it's funny you went there and you're at mind. I never thought that. I always believed Sam from the beginning. 
Yeah, I don't know. Something about the motel and the way he was speaking about his ex-wife and the way he was pushing back about marriage. It makes sense for you to think something's not right. If you look at the synopsis for the movie, generally, you see the word affair mentioned. Yeah, which is outrageous because they're not having an affair. They're just dating. Yeah, but at that time, it would seem like, oh, they're you know meeting in a motel. How scandalous. Fornication. So maybe I didn't go there <laughs> because I've been in a similar situation. And I was lucky enough to, you know, be with an honorable man post-divorce. Mm -hmm. You know, just obviously not 1960. We weren't, my husband and I weren't sneaking around in a hotel before we got married. But I had issues about being in another relationship. And he was very respectful mm -hmm. of understanding that. And even if he didn't like fully understand, just accepting what I needed. And, you know, that's why when I said... Uh, I don't want a wedding. Can we just go to the courthouse? He practically did a jig. He was more than fine. Yeah, I mean, saves a ton of money. Yeah, or in our case, stops you from spending money you do not have. <laughs> and, you know, I love the way Marion is framed as being just fine as an independent woman with a career, not a woman just pining away for a man. Yeah. I mean, she had a quickie and she went back to work completely fine. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. That's awesome. And she's not this lovesick puppy. I credit Janet Lee for that. She is a grown ass woman who has multiple parts of herself and just wants to be with the man she loves. Mm -hmm. And I found myself thinking through, at least, you know, up until uh, Marion's murder, it just makes me think of all the couples out there, whether interracial, gay or others like Sam and Marion just throughout time or even now who couldn't be together because of hate and ignorance. But in their case, they didn't have that. This was Sam stopping himself. Well, I think it's a little more complicated than that. I do understand Sam's point of view a little bit, and uh, I'll get to that later. Mm -hmm. um, I think one thing we can definitely agree on, though, is uh, our mutual disgust for this fucking cowboy oh yeah absolutely he deserved losing that money and i'm still in fuck texas mode so i really really wanted to see get this guy get hit by a bus <laughs> this guy walks in just acting like he owns the place sitting on her desk hitting on her waving his metaphorical money around and man you just know that daughter is is a fucking nightmare Probably. She'd be on a reality show today. Some like Bridezilla nonsense show. Right, with all the Botox. Yeah. Or what do they do? I've heard I've heard that people put like um cement or something in their asses. Is that true? Or cement? No, you told me the, the fat injections into into shit. Men. That's men. Put... No, but women do weird shit too. Yes, women do weird shit too. Look at them. Just get on Instagram. <laughs> Not cement, but implants, yes. Silicone implants and stuff. But men, some men, who are super obsessed with seeming swole, put oil in their bodies to make it seem like they're super muscly. But That is the, one of the most disturbing pictures you've ever sent me in two and a half years. <laughs> Probably, yeah. What really got me, too, 
in this movie is how like cavalier Marriott is with forty thousand dollars. She's cavalier in the office, but after that, you see she is really nervous. Still, still, this woman just shoves forty grand in her purse to take to the bank. Different time. No, even today, if you seem nervous, you're gonna attract attention. No, no, you have I'm to. I'm saying be. just the idea of one carrying forty thousand dollars around in one's purse—that that was an acceptable thing to do. Like a, it's it's fine. Like that's I did the inflation calculator. That's over four hundred thousand dollars in today's money. Uh huh. I can't even remember the last time I walked around with forty dollars in my pocket, <laughs> let alone four hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. I know this it's different for you because you guys have a different economy. Right. But this boggles my mind. Yeah, but it's just something you do. It's something you do. <laughs> Me, when we went to Orlando, I took out $20 cash for tips. And that was the first time I'd had cash in my wallet in several years. And see, that boggles my mind. <laughs> I would feel naked without any money on me. So this whole scene just like creates even more tension. And for me, sympathy with Marion, especially when this asshole says, what you need is a weekend in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Man, men just love to tell women what they need. And it usually involves their penis. Sure. Of course. This actually made me wonder. We despise this guy in 2022. And we've seen far too many of him. Was he as despised in 1960? I don't think so. I don't know. Because it's so clear to us, right? That this guy's awful. Yeah. And we can see clearly that Marion is uncomfortable with him. And, you know, her manager isn't terribly comfortable with the guy either. I think that's clear. Right. So the movie is telling us that what this guy is doing is inappropriate. Right. The question is, did that come across to the audience? Did they get that? A, did that come across to the audience? And B, did they sympathize his money being lost? Because we don't. No, no. And of course, the men and women are going to have very different perspectives on it. For men, I would think they would see him as being cheated. 1960? Oh, yeah. This guy just got robbed out of money he earned by... Picking himself up off his bootstraps, you know? All that nonsense. Right. Yeah, exactly. So was he a sympathetic character? I don't know. And marrying the thieving little whore. Exactly. Did she deserve to die for all that she did? I'm thinking some people probably thought so. That she got... Yeah. Not that she deserved it, but, well, you got what was coming to you. Different kind of right. thing. Different kind of justification. Well, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what happens if you try to do something illegal. And man, I freak out every time Marion's boss sees her driving (laughs) when she is supposed to be home in bed. Yeah. And that is the first time since the opening credits that the score kicks in. Mm -hmm. You know, I actually was wondering as I was watching the movie. So she tells her boss, you know, I'm not feeling great. I'm going to spend my weekend at home. And then we immediately cut to her leaving and coming home. And packing her bags. When did she decide she's taking the money? I think Janet Lee does a fantastic job with the struggle of this. And Hitchcock mm-hmm. too. Because I feel like we know what she's going to do before she even does. In a way, I suppose. Because when the boss 
tells her, you know, just take this to the bank and put it. I don't even want it in the office. I was thinking, oh, that's not a good idea. No. You should be doing that yourself. I think in that moment, maybe when luck met opportunity, Mm -hmm. that's when she decided. The stars aligned for her. Yeah, but that's like a big decision to take. This whole thing has been on her mind for a while. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe she saw this as a sign, an answer presenting itself after something major just happened between her and Sam. They had this big discussion about it that I don't think certainly wasn't their first discussion about it, but it's getting a little more serious. Yeah. And what we've got to keep in mind, too, is this woman is not a criminal. No. This was an impulsive decision born of love, you know? Yeah. And we see her struggling with it as she's getting ready to run. And honestly, I think if the cowboy hadn't been an asshole, I don't think she does Mm -hmm. this. Possibly. I think his attitude, his misogyny was like a kind of tacit permission because he's such a douche. Right. And the fact that he was waving this money around trying to entice her, essentially buy her. Yeah. So it's it's a motive to screw him over, that that's almost a, a byproduct of getting the money, you know? It's like she gets mm-hmm. the money and she gets to screw this asshole over. It's right. righteous. From her perspective. Absolutely. But it's not morally right anyways, irrespective of whether this guy's a douche or not. Tomato, tomato. I have, <laughs> I have gray area issues with this that make me uh, worry a bit about myself. But I just, I come from that perspective of this woman is living in this society that is so oppressive for her. And it's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's wrong in so many ways that, you know, I mean, come on. How many episodes did we do on Daredevil? Sometimes if the law is not working right, you got to go outside of it. Right. But in this case, she isn't getting screwed over per se. Well, for me, my moral compass is simple. If I feel like I can sleep at night, if I do something, I'm good. If I can't, I won't. And this was something that would give me sleepless nights. Now, see, it would give me sleepless nights because I'd worry about getting caught. Exactly. Yeah. Not because what I did was awful. There's a difference. But both go. I would feel guilty about taking the money and... I would be worried about getting caught and it's not worth the the stress for me. I have enough stress in my life. Okay. See, that's the difference. I wouldn't feel the guilt. (laughs) I'd be fine with that part. Look, you were Catholic, but I've got all the guilt in the world. I live with perpetual guilt forever. And I I pretty much just love every moment of Marion on screen. Mm -hmm. When that cop shows up and wakes her, I I almost pee my pants. Just like the boss seeing her. And, you know, I would have been very nervous. This dude looks like Clancy Brown. Like, you don't mess with this guy. You can look at this cop and be like, oh, fuck. You know, the fact that she was so nervous was obviously what tipped him off. And I was getting pissed off with her. Like, just calm down. If you be nervous, nothing's going to work. And secondly, I like the direction that they did. They really went close up on his face. Yes. Like, putting him really in your face yeah, so that you can't POV. avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. I totally understand her reaction. I would have panicked too, because number one, she's got 40 grand in her purse that she stole. Mm -hmm. And two, this is 1960. She's a woman with no wedding band. 
on an isolated stretch of road and here's a cop. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes that wasn't a recipe for, uh, for anything good to happen. Right. Because there were many cops taking advantage of women back then. And this is the perfect circumstance. There's a reason that Ted Bundy often pretended to be a cop Mm -hmm. with his victims because of that authority. A woman's first reaction is fear of authority. They acquiesce. I give Marion so much credit for standing up to this guy as much as she does and for staying calm. True. She does ask him several questions and refuses to comply in certain ways that she had every right to not comply. Yes. Uh, I would have been a bucket of sweat. I would have just been a, a pool in the driver's seat. Yeah, you would have just been a wet stain on the chair. You would have dissolved. <laughs> Pretty much. And, you know, we're not going to harp on this, but it does need to be said. The reason she's able to get away with not complying is because she's a white woman. Yeah. Which is why also part of me was thinking, you don't need to be that nervous. You're a good looking, respectable white woman. You'd be fine. Well, I mean, not necessarily. Like I said, sexual assault was a real mm. consideration, but also she's got the stolen cash. Yeah. And which is exactly why she should not be nervous, not show that she's nervous. Good luck with that. Easier said than done. Hey, I've done that. Not with stolen money, but yeah, money. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. Get off your high horse, Missy. <laughs> and she also knows that this is leaving a trail. This cop has mm -hmm. seen her now. He's seen her car. Yeah. And the score kicks in every time we ramp up this tension. Mm -hmm. And which is why she wants to change the car. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Marion's not a master criminal. I understand the idea. It's a smart idea, but it's not mm -hmm. well executed. <laughs> No, not at all. And I think that's a good thing. I don't think it's misogynistic in any way. Oh, this little woman doesn't know what she's doing. It's like, no, this good person doesn't know how to be a criminal. Yeah. And it also shows us, even though, yes, I did say that from a 1960s perspective, she might not seem very sympathetic, but showing her bumbling up and messing up this whole thing shows that she's not a, a hardened criminal and B, She's sympathetic enough, like she's fucked up. Yeah. And how many, how many of us have done something stupid because we didn't think it through because we just acted. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm also of two minds a lot watching this. I think of the same issues, you know, that you're having. That's what makes the movie so timeless. So part of me is bothered by the fact that the cop and the car salesman are both thrown off because Marion appears to know what she wants and think for herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the thing is, I also can't blame them because she is acting suspiciously. Yeah, she is. Totally. But to be fair, the car salesman was being funky, let's say, with her right from the beginning. Well, he doesn't think a woman is capable of making such big decision so quickly on her own. Right. So that's a knock on him, not on her. But she is also acting uncomfortable and scared. Yeah. And it kills me because this is all for nothing because the cop followed her. He sees her change yeah. cars. So mm -hmm. no point. And the fact that she saw him there and she still did it. Oof. Yeah. Well, she was committed at that point. She had to. Right. She just keeps digging herself 
more of a hole. And as she mm-hmm. does, the feeling of dread just intensifies. Yeah. But you know what also really bothers me is that this cop immediately thinks Marion is a criminal. And it's a problem because she is a criminal. But this is 1960, and it is much more likely that a woman who's acting like this would be doing so because she's on the run from an abuser. Right. But that's not something that a cop would think because chances are he's an abuser himself. Right. He's too busy smacking his own wife around. Right. So he wouldn't get the idea of, why would my wife run away from me? Or why would anyone's wife run away from them? Right. Or if he did get that idea, he'd be trying to apprehend her to take her the fuck back. Mm -hmm. And this scene always gets me too, because I did this once. I uh, traded in a car that I couldn't look at anymore because the psycho I was once married to had not like bought it for me, but it's a long story. He found the car for me and made a big deal of it. Okay. Long, long story baggage there. So I traded in that car for significantly less than it was worth. It was a dumb move. It was a few months after I met my husband and I was like, I can't have this vehicle tainting my life in any way Mm -hmm. anymore. Right. Yeah. It was a stupid move, but we do stupid things like Marion. Yeah. Yeah, the human. And this scene of Marion driving is amazing. Yeah. Hearing the conversation between her boss and the cowboy in her Mm -hmm. head. That's the thing. Initially, we think it's in her head, but later on, we know it's not. That's the thing, though. It's very well done because it makes you wonder. I'm like, wait a minute. Is she imagining this conversation? Because her face matches, Mm -hmm. you know, because Lee does an amazing job. And I think, well, she has to be because they're talking about Monday morning. This can't be Monday night that she arrives at the motel. But then I think, wait a minute, I've driven from Phoenix to California. You can do that in a day. Okay. Especially since she was driving a lot and she stopped just at at the side of the road. Yeah. I mean, power to her. I would have needed several diapers and a number of bars, uh, protein bars of Chase, to be able to do that. <laughs> and I just love watching her face, especially as she thinks about how pissed the cowboy is. Like I said, that's a side benefit. Mm-hmm. And he represents all the men. You know what I mean? All those kind of men, yeah. And I'm with her. Fuck that guy. He very likely made his money off the backs of migrant workers, you know? Probably, yeah. But... I don't know if it's in her head. I think it is what's happening simultaneously. It's hard to know. I do not know. Mm -hmm. And so finally, Marion does something smart here. She at least has the presence of mind to use a fake name on the ledger once she reaches the Bates Motel. Right. Yeah. But it's not a very different name that she went with. No. And uh, I think today, this would come across more as like a too stupid to live moment, but credit to Lee and the script here, it doesn't. It's because of desperation and stress and sheer exhaustion, she's been driving all day, that Marion mm-hmm. doesn't question how the motel is still in business if they hardly get any guests after the highway was moved. Right. And the fact that he's saying 12 rooms, 12 vacancies. As a single woman, you do not want to be staying in a place like that. Absolutely fucking not. (laughs) 
<laughs> there is no amount of money that you could pay me to have milk and sandwiches with Norman. <laughs> but he seems perfectly fine before the milk and sandwiches. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to get we're saving Mr. Bates for last. We're going to get there. <laughs> and, you know, there's there's more with Mary and intertwine there. I do love the fact that she seems like the confident one in that dynamic initially. Yes. And that may have played a role in her death. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think it's possible not blaming her, but I think it's possible if she had played this differently, not that she thought she needed to, she didn't know the guy was going to kill her. Mm -hmm. But if she had played it differently, she may have survived the night. Right. And from her point of view, there's this young guy who's stuck with this bitch of a mother. She's trying to give him that boost of confidence. Yes, yes, but Marion um, misread the room. That's putting it mildly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I have to make my obligatory Frasier reference. So it's kind of <laughs> like, uh, do you remember the episode where uh, Freddie got bar mitzvahed and Frasier wanted to make the speech in Hebrew? Yes, but, the Star Wars. Yeah, but yeah, Noel, Klingon. Noel told him Klingon instead. Yeah, yeah that's okay. Yeah. That's like this conversation where they're speaking two different languages and don't know it. Right. Yeah, there's a major communication gap between the two of them. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the shower scene. Mm -hmm. Which happens in the bathtub. Amy was going to say the bathtub scene, and I told her, absolutely not. It's psycho. You have to say the shower scene, but she just has to get that in there. But she did go into the bathtub, and you can't deny that it made cleanup much easier. Yeah, I don't know if they really did stand-up showers back then yet. Okay. So we touched on this in part one, of course, about Marion's nudity here in the shower as it related to the Hayes Code. I mean, mm -hmm. Hayes Code or not, this was super risque for the time. Yeah. Now, as we've said, we can't go back to 1960 and be a viewer seeing this for the first time in a theater. Mm-hmm. But I can't even imagine how absolutely shocking this was for people. Yeah, I read somewhere ages ago, like people actually fainted after seeing the scene. Yeah. Yeah. And not just in terms of the murder itself, but also for the plot. Yeah, for the plot. That's like a major 180. You think this movie is going in one way. It's going to end up in some sort of catch me if you can situation. But this ended up cutting that story off right away. Yeah, like structurally, this was a big no-no. Mm -hmm. So Hitchcock kind of reinvented the wheel in that regard. Right. And also, we've seen these movies at home with our own speaker systems. Picture yourself in 1960 in a theater with this score going at you and this woman screaming and this murder. It's a lot. Too, especially if you're a woman uh, sitting next to a man who just beat you the night before. Yeah. yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's even more shocking because it's seemingly a woman an old woman committing a brutal murder, not just a right. woman being murdered. Yeah. And they keep it smart in that way. They, they never show a woman. It's a shadow. Of course. But we see the wig and the dress. Yes. All that said, there's no getting around the fact that at this point in time, filmmakers did not know yet how to film this kind of scene. It is not good. Yeah, it's not good. Maybe back then for people it was believable, but looking at it now, it's it's so poorly done. We don't 
We don't actually see her get stabbed. And that's fine. That's not a requirement. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are plenty of times in movies where it actually makes for a better experience to not fully see it or maybe see the murder from a distance. I think a great example of this is uh, the murder of, quote, fat ass in Shawshank Redemption. Mm -hmm. The fresh fish there. It's better to just hear what Hadley is doing to him. Right. And in this case, also, a lot of the heavy lifting is done by the score and her screaming. Yeah. But the way Hitchcock shot this, not seeing the stabbing just makes it unbelievable because we're seeing her body. We're seeing the attack. And but we're not seeing the consequences of it. I think the restrictions at that time would play a bigger part. You know, like right now, if we were to see a woman bloody murdered with stab wounds in the shower or in the bathtub, completely naked, that would pass. We would be able to see that, but not at that time. You know, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that, that Hitchcock was, Hitchcock could only push it so far. Correct. Yeah. And in order to actually see her being stabbed, we would have had to see her naked. That's true. Yeah. He was, he was doing his best with the restrictions he had at the time. He had to pick his yeah. battles. Yeah. And you can't see any titties. No, no, you cannot. Then I think it would have been a major scandal. Oh, just even more so. Mm -hmm. The bra was enough. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about uh, John Gavin and Sam Loomis. Mm -hmm. The original Sam Loomis. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he stands the test of time for me. I would not kick Sam Loomis out of bed. Yeah, clearly. This Sam Loomis, not Donald Pleasance, just to be clear. <laughs> not any Sam Loomis. Yes. I like him a lot. I think he is one of the good guys. Yeah, he seems like a decent guy. He's taking responsibility for the hand he's been dealt. It's a shitty hand, has the shitty ex-wife, all of his debt, but he is not looking for anybody to, to fix it for him. He understands he needs to dig out of the mess. Right, but you said he has a shitty ex-wife. That's his perspective. We don't know how good or bad she is. That's true. But I'm more inclined to believe him because I see him as a good man mm -hmm. who respects Marion, who treats her well. This is not a guy who disrespects or hates women. Mm -hmm. So I'm more inclined to believe him. And his major complaint was the fact that he had to pay her alimony and he wanted her to get married so that he didn't have to pay alimony anymore. So we don't have any context on what kind of a person she was. Right. And if she's awful, I can understand the bitterness. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. I get it from, from his point of view, especially because of what she has to deal with in society. He is considering her. And, you know, looking at it from 2022, we want to say, oh, well, she's an independent woman who can take care of herself. And while part of that's true, she also had certain legal and cultural restrictions that she was dealing with. So I hate to say it, but she did need some protection. Some protection in what sense? Just culturally, because her, you know, marrying a man who was divorced and still paying alimony and then also be, being saddled with all this debt that they had to pay, it wouldn't look good. That was, that's the kind of thing that they might fire her for. Mm -hmm. It's the equivalent today of like a woman having a nude, like say a teacher having a nude photo come out or something and then immediately uh, being fired for it. That, mm -hmm. that bullshit. Right. 
But in her case, she she would have had to quit because he lived in a different city. And then it might be difficult for her to find another job. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's just a lot of forces at play. Right. And I mean, she's even taking a risk sleeping with him at the time. Yeah, exactly. This is 13 years before Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're going to come back to Sam uh, later on as he relates to Norman. That's some, that's some good stuff there. Do you like ghosts? Historic cities? True crime? Oddities? And maybe even dogs? How about Keith Morrison impersonations? <sighs> well, then you'll love Scary Savannah and beyond. Join Brett and Crystal as we explore stories about the paranormal and more from all around the world. Get a dose of humor and hunt for creatures of the night with us and our fearless dogs, Layla and Coffee, who get a segment of their own every week. We also share what we're watching with a short review of a movie in every episode. Podcasting from the most haunted city in America, Savannah, Georgia. Join Scary Savannah and Beyond every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Back in the days when I ran my own web design business, I only backed up my important data on an external hard drive. Oh, the follies of youth. So when my brother dropped the hard drive and I lost three years of my life, I was devastated. Is he still alive? Yes, but I considered burying him under the floor. Once I stopped crying, I realized I needed a more reliable backup system. Enter Backblaze, the set it and forget it cloud storage solution. For $7 a month, Backblaze protects your most important data from life's little curveballs, like clumsy siblings, rowdy kids, and mischievous pets. And with its simple interface and easy setup, anyone can use it. I'm certainly proof of that. Sign up now for a 15-day free trial using the link in our show notes, which also helps support the Marvelous Madams. Backblaze. When it comes to data, they have your back. So let's talk a little bit about Lila Crane, Vera Miles. All right. I love her too. (laughs) You can see why these two are sisters. There's excellent continuity there. Yeah. Yeah, they're cut from the same cloth. Yeah. And I mean, literally, too, they could physically pass for sisters. True. But I mean, 1960, they're blonde, white women, of course. Yeah. And in black and white, you know, it makes things easier. Yeah. I personally think everybody needs a sister like Lila Crane. Why so? (laughs) Because she cares about her sister Mm -hmm. and won't let anything stop her from finding her. Mm -hmm. You and I both know that's not always how sibling relationships work. True. So as soon as Lila suspects something is wrong, she jumps into action. She enlists Sam's help, which is a smart move. Yes. And... The key thing is she knows about Sam. Yeah. It's not a secret. Right. With Marion. It tells you that they're close. Yes. And in a different movie, this could have gone a different way. So I'm so glad that there is never a hint of anything romantic between Lila and Sam. Mm, Yes. It would have been so easy to make him hit on her. Yes. And that's another indication that Sam Loomis is a good man. Right. They are both solely focused on finding Marion. How do you think she would have reacted if he said or did something? I think she'd have slapped him in the face. Uh Uh-huh. And Lila gives zero fucks about uh, what Arbogast the PI thinks about her. 
Yeah. She wants to find her sister. Yeah. He has his own motive. Yeah. He's not interested in her sister. He's interested in the money she has. Right. And she's not waiting around for men to do their jobs. No. And she's the one in charge, really. She pushes Sam into action. Mm-hmm. And I'm also fine with Sam being the one to go and check things out. It's not a matter of, oh, leaving the little woman behind. This is his girlfriend. This is the woman he loves. And he is right. Somebody does need to stay back in case the PI comes back or calls. And it was just safer for a man to go out to a motel, you know? Right. Yeah. But it's also something that we think about now. At that time, it would have just been, yeah, of course, he's going to go. And I have to mention, this is just one of countless, countless movies over the decades that would be totally negated by cell phones now. (laughs) True. Yeah. So Sam is following Lila's lead the entire time. It is just so Mm -hmm. refreshing. Yeah. So Arbogast is hired by the cowboy, not really to find Marion. She's incidental. They don't really give a shit about her. They want to find the money. Yeah. They just want the money. Dead or alive, they just want her money. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm not a fan of Arbogast. I don't know, thinking about it now and all the things you've brought up, I don't know if we're supposed to be. I don't know how we're supposed to feel about him. Yeah, I don't think we're supposed to be a fan of his either because he's a bit abrasive. But at the same time, considering his job, you know, he has to make people uncomfortable, push them a little so that he can really see whether they're being truthful or not. That's true. That is true. I just don't like the way he does it. Yeah. And a lot of his abrasiveness comes when he's speaking to Sam and Lila. Yeah. And you know what I found really interesting is that Marion's boss and Arbogast both refer to her as a girl. Mm -hmm. Norman calls her a woman. Right. Very, very interesting. And I hate the fact that I have to have respect for Norman for doing that. Yeah, I would not give him any credit for that. So Arbogast does eventually, of course, interview Norman here. And it pisses me off that the PI first assumes that Norman is covering for Marion. That he's like under the spell of her feminine wiles in some way. Mm-hmm. It's much more likely that he fucking killed her. A man wouldn't think like that. I know. That's what makes me so crazy. So it's accurate. And I completely get, based on that time, and. And him being a PI and the shit that he's seen, for him to think like that, I get it. And at the same time, he's hired by this Texan who must have told him God knows what shit. Like in one of the audio flashbacks we hear, she was flirting with me. That's what he said. Right. Which is complete and utter bullshit. So the PI has already made up his mind that she's some kind of floozy who you know, stole money from my upstanding client. Right. The femme fatale that isn't. Right. Um, you can't deny Marion is a beautiful woman. Yeah. And he had a picture of her. So, you know, it kind of fit in his mind. That's a really good point. And man, our biggest death scene, it's even worse than the shower scene. I actually laugh watching him fall backwards. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they were trying to do that in a like, this is how he actually fell, or is this some kind of artsy fartsy way of his death i don't know i think they're just doing the best they could okay maybe but it seemed too art house for me definitely and what i did like is that the sheriff was actually thinking poorly of rbs he thinks that 
being, oh, he's a PI, he's after the money for himself. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. That made me happy. The sheriff assuming another man is a piece of shit. But at the same time, that is now two people not seen again after leaving the base motel. Please change out of your pajamas and go investigate. Yeah, the sheriff is useless. Yes. All the men are useless in this well, movie. True. And that's yeah. one of the great things about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sheriff especially is just like so done. He doesn't want to do anything. And he, I don't think he believes them. No. He doesn't believe them at all. So for him, all of it is just a waste of time. But let me tell you, in five years, if you tell him there's a hippie out there walking down the road with a bindle, he's getting his pants on as fast as he can. <laughs> all right. Let's get to the main event. Yes. Mr. Bates. Have you seen the show, The Bates Motel? I attempted to watch it and could not get past the first episode because I can't deal with rape. Okay. I did not know there was a rape scene. Yeah. No, I can't deal with the whole dysfunctional mother thing. Not my cup of tea. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be able to handle that either to that level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just feels icky. Yes. So Mr. Bates, mother, I think Anthony Perkins is one of the tragic figures of cinema. Why? This was simultaneously his big break and the role that ruined his career. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he did a great job and he's a good looking guy. He's phenomenal. But from this point on, he was Norman fucking Bates. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Mm-hmm. All the sequels that they made, he couldn't get away from it. And then he had no choice but to continue. Right. Yeah. I mean, you got to make money some way, right? And you're right. He is a good looking guy. He was perfect for this role. He is so mm-hmm. harmless looking. Yeah. And so sweet when he's speaking to Marion. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And I have to say this. Uh, So we covered, you know, Goodwill Hunting last month and heaped praise upon Gus Van Sant for that movie. But his Psycho remake, big old swing and a miss. (laughs) I do not know what the point of that movie was because he did it like shot for shot, this remake. Oh, okay. And I'm sorry, if Vince Vaughn is going to play a monster, it needs to be Frankenstein. Seriously? Yes. There's no other option. Why anyone thought he could play Norman Bates is beyond me. Yeah, that does not gel at all. No, both physically and as an actor. That is not in his wheelhouse at all. No, no. And on the show, the series that Amy mentioned, Bates Motel, it's Freddie Highmore who plays a young Norman. Yeah, to be fair, his face, I mean, he does have the creep vibes going. He does. For him. But, and I'm not saying this should be done, but if they were to make a modern Norman Bates like prequel or something, I think there is only one choice for that role. He is perfect physically, has the chops to do it. Look at Anthony Perkins. He's about 5'10". He's a beanpole, got dark brown hair, big brown doe eyes, Mm -hmm. long eyelashes. And so sweet and innocent looking. There's only one guy for this. Who? Andrew Garfield. You're right. Uh-huh. You're right. Uh-huh. And he could pull it off. Oh, a thousand percent he could. Yeah. 
I want to see that movie. Or maybe like a fanfic movie of Norman in the Mental Institution. Something like that. There is mm-hmm. a big part of me that wants to see it because I know he'd be amazing. Yeah, I want to see it too. Fuck Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and when it comes to Norman, we always have to keep in mind that he is the ultimate unreliable narrator. Of course. Yeah. Everything, just like what you said about Sam's ex-wife, everything we know about mother comes through Norman. Yes. We even hear mother through him. Yes. Now, given what Norman has become, I think it would be fair to say there were definitely issues. I don't think she was mother of the year. Yeah. And it starts from somewhere, right? Yes. And so, you know what you said about Marion earlier about, you know, stopping at the motel as a single woman and whatnot. Mm -hmm. The serial killer boom hadn't happened yet. In 1960. So women weren't necessarily thinking about that kind of thing. Because, too, women also weren't doing a whole lot of traveling on their own. Yeah, that's fair. But people were still leaving their doors unlocked all regularly. Yeah, now the whole doors unlocked thing is just ridiculous for me. So I'm going to skip that because that's going to become a rant. I agree. Secondly, you don't need to have a serial killer boom to feel unsafe with any guy. In a place which is completely empty. Even someone who's as harmless looking. Harmless looking being the key word as Mr. Bates. No, I agree with you. But there's a couple other factors here. One, well, he's an upstanding businessman. It's a motel. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, so all that plays in, like that respectability and all that kind of fucks with you. But there's another big part of it in making Marion feel safer. And that's mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a few things here. This whole, the whole relationship between Norman and his mother, this is definitely taken from Ed Gein's uh, story as we discussed in part one. Right. Yes. So Augusta Gein uh, was <laughs> uber, and I will say uber rather than hyper because this is Augusta we're talking about, uber evangelical, probably had a personality disorder and his entire life, literally like into his 40s, she would sit Ed down at her knee and read him Bible passages and teach him that all women were harlots and that Ed wasn't safe. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure they were just clamoring for uh, for little Ed there. Yeah. They were all uh... evil. Right. She was the only woman he was safe with. So that's how that Madonna horror complex was formed in his mind. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Ed also secretly wanted to be a woman. And it was no secret in their household that Augusta wanted a girl. I see. Okay. So part of that was an, an issue of approval. Right. So how much of it was he actually wanted to be a girl versus he wanted to please mommy? Yeah. It's hard to know. I don't think little Eddie knew himself. Mm. So having the mother there also goes a long way to disarming Marion. She feels... Not only does she feel safer with the presence of another person, another woman, a witness, you know, potentially, Mm -hmm. but it also makes her feel sorry for Norman. Yeah. And that's the key. And I have to wonder how calculated this is, what level of calculation. And, you know, I found myself thinking the same thing watching the the Jeffrey Dahmer series too, is how much was him living where he lived calculation versus what he could afford, you know? Right. So the question becomes, okay. Is this part 
of Norman's plan, how much can he control the delusions? Mm-hmm. And is he is he playing on the fact of Marion's sympathy because she knows she'll let her guard down more? Yeah. And this is something a lot of serial killers have done historically. Some have used uh, cute dogs to disarm, and others, like uh, Fred West and Ian Brady, they used female accomplices. Fred had Rose okay. in the car, and Ian Brady mm-hmm. would have Myra Henley in the car when they would abduct girls. Okay. And it, so it made it seem safer to hitch a ride with a married couple. Right. We don't know how much of it was calculation versus his delusion. And he plays it so well that you really can't know. You can't. And that's the crux of it, because we also don't know how much Norman's aware of. True. And I will also say this. Once you are alone in an isolated motel with a man and find out that his uh, main hobby is taxidermy, fucking run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Just fucking (laughs) run. Yes, I agree. I'm sorry. I know it's like a a hone skill and it takes a lot of work and it's expensive. But um, yeah, I don't want to spend time with a taxidermist. I just don't. No. (laughs) Sure, it's an honorable profession, but I don't understand people who want it or do it. Yeah. I mean, okay. I understand it when it comes from a museum's point of view, you know, you do that to preserve certain extinct species or things like that. Sure. But not at home. Yeah, like when my baby died, my little Bailey uh, passed two years ago, we definitely didn't stuff her. That's what cuddle clothes are for. Everybody, if you don't know about cuddle clothes, let's, if you know somebody who's got taxidermy done, send them the link. Tell them about cuddle clothes (laughs) so that they no longer have to stuff real animals. Hashtag not sponsored. (laughs) (laughs) And if the taxidermy wasn't enough, a boy's best friend is his mother. That's enough. Yeah, that's that's a big problem. Move your ass, woman. Yeah, the sandwich is not worth it. No. Just go. No, it's just cheese and bread. You could get it anywhere. Yeah, just drive another 10, 15 more miles and reach a city. And the dread continues because Norman, and this goes again, calculation or not, we're all in our private traps, clamped in them, and none of us can ever get out. Mm-hmm. He's telling her. He's telling her, but he's also probably telling her that he's trapped in his own mind. Possibly. But there's a flip side of this. Is there any part of him that's trying to warn her? Mm-hmm. Is there a decent part of him anywhere in there that does not want to hurt this woman? We don't know. So I made my Frasier reference. I have to make my 90s cartoon reference now. On uh, <laughs> Animaniacs, they used to do a bit that was really funny, at least to my. Uh, eight-year-old self was a good idea bad idea Mm -hmm. and for marion good idea compliment his taxidermy bad idea criticize mommy yeah you could see that hit a nerve with him and her like she realizes she is overstepped but she's not sure why Mm -hmm. because she's trying to be supportive and and sympathetic yeah and Hinting to him that, you know, maybe he has other options. Yeah. And just like Ed Gein, Norman can't process his dual feelings for mother. Right. And man, the close-ups we get of Perkins and those eyelashes, I found myself thinking, like, did they put mascara on him 
Or is that just natural? <laughs> I think it's just natural. Mm -hmm. And he says, we all go a little mad sometimes with those crazy looking eyes. <laughs> and I'm just so nervous for her. There's just, it's the tension building is, is fantastic. Yeah, it is. And I think it's actually this conversation that goes part of the way in making Marion come to her senses and realize what a mistake she's made. Yes, definitely. She does realize that she's made a mistake and which is why she, she leaves quickly after that because she knows she's kind of fucked up. I don't think she's realized just how bad her situation is yet. Well, I actually think if she had just gone back and returned all the money, I think it could have been okay for her to avoid scandal. I don't, she's a beautiful white woman. I think mm -hmm. she'd have been okay. I think she'd have been fired, of course. Yeah. But I think she could have survived it. Yes, of course. She still had a chance to go back and make things right. But unfortunately, Marion made the bad idea of telling Norman her real name and where she was from. Mm -hmm. And he recognizes that this does not match what she put in the ledger. Yeah. So then that inconsistency makes things difficult. Yeah. And I feel like this kind of mirrors Marion's decision at the beginning of the movie to take the money, because that's what we said. When did she get this idea? When luck met opportunity. This mm -hmm. is Norman's moment of luck meeting opportunity. Mm -hmm. Because he figures there won't be a trail. Right. She's running away herself. Yeah. And he actually gives her too much credit. And again, I hate that I kind of respect him for overestimating her. <laughs> Because of that Madonna horror complex he has, he both hates women and reveres them. Mm -hmm. Right now, as Norman, he's in that revere mode. So in a way, his overestimating her and thinking of her as a woman as opposed to a girl is credit to his mother for making it seem like all women are calculating whores. Maybe. That feels icky. <laughs> it does. <laughs> And the fact that he's so isolated, he's not exposed to the real world too much. He wouldn't have had the opportunity to meet other boys and men like his peers and pick up that mentality from them. That's very true. He wouldn't have had that kind of like poisoning. Mm -hmm. Excellent point. He had a different kind of poisoning. Yeah. Yeah. So it was mother who killed Marion in the shower. Mm-hmm. The question will become, how much is mother? How much is Norman? And we see this first hint of this when Norman finds Marion's body. Right. Now, he is alone. He mm -hmm. doesn't need to put on an act for anyone. Mm -hmm. And he is seemingly horrified at what he finds. Right. Yeah. Horrified, but not surprised. Yes. So that leads to the question, has quote-unquote mother, done this before. Oh, yes. Oh, I think so. <laughs> At this point in the movie, I think the split personality idea holds. Mm -hmm. He doesn't realize that the information Norman got about Marion's fake name is information that mother also has. So it's not a total compartmentalization of the personalities. It could be explained as he told her. That could be too. You're right. I don't know if that would be possible. That's, that's the thing is, I don't know how accurate the psychology is here because it's 1960. They didn't fully know how it all worked. 
yeah that and also this is probably one of the first movies that is hitting such a complex idea of split personalities and murder one of them is a murderer one of them is a sort of victim and all of that definitely so i am willing to give it leeway over there i mean hell it's 2022 and people still can't get diabetes and how that works right in a movie <laughs> yeah you're totally right i so i'd say in comparison this movie's done a fantastic job you're right you're totally right and hitchcock also had no idea at the time that uh some serial killers actually do this not in terms of like split personality but for instance uh dennis nilson who is known as either uh, the muswell hill killer or uh england's jeffrey dahmer which he mm -hmm. apparently uh dennis did not appreciate <laughs> uh go watch that bio series starring david Tennant as dennis nilson he will make your fucking skin crawl anyway nilson used to do this he would kill one of his victims stuff the body in the pantry and then a few days later open the pantry and be like oh how did you get there hello <laughs> and then they'd watch tv together that was rather anticlimactic yeah yeah he would pretend somebody else did it the, okay. the idea here is that Norman wants to kill, but can't do it himself. So the, the stronger personality has to come and do it for him. It's a lot like the booze, too. And that was the same. Nilsson did it. Bundy did it. Dahmer did it. They all had to get blackout drunk, practically, mm -hmm. for different reasons, in committing their murders. Right. So this, it's kind of a defense mechanism. Well, Norman didn't do it. Mother did. Yeah, of course. It's, it's self-preservation in some way. It's like the normal equivalent of the way my husband tries to blame farts on our dog. <laughs> Except the dog actually does exist. And fart, because sometimes I cannot tell the difference. <laughs> and I think the mother delusion is also Norman's way of working out what to do next. Mm -hmm. Because like he, he had mother telling him what to do and how to live his whole life. Right. He doesn't quite know how to do it for himself. Mm-hmm. So the reason I think that this ain't Mama's first rodeo is that um, Norman seems to really know how to clean up a crime scene, doesn't he? Yeah, so it's definitely not his first time, I think. But that also could be attributed to him essentially cleaning up and running the whole motel. Um, crime scene's a little different, I think. He's also quite calm, cool, and collected. Yeah. The one issue I have with Perkins' performance, he's absolutely phenomenal, but... Um, dude, you're a beanpole. That's a dead body you're carrying. I need you to struggle a little bit more. I don't think they wanted to go too graphic with that either. Ugh, kills me. And once he's done, like, I half expected him to pull out a murder checklist because he's so on his game. <laughs> like, I would have needed a checklist for sure. You need a checklist for everything. Well, I mean, you can't criticize me for that because we have checklists for everything. Yes. Yeah. So that's when I asked, how many bodies, Norman? How many? Yeah. The, the swamp there is, I'd say any life forms over there are very well fed. Yeah. I don't want to go in that swamp ever. Nobody wants to go in any swamp ever. No. And man, again, these close up Norman's face when the car gets sucked into the pond. Mm hmm. Whew. That's not a head you want to be in. <laughs> now, Norman has some more experience with this, but he's not a master criminal either because he doesn't cover his tracks with that registry. Yeah, he doesn't do that because I don't think he's ever been questioned before. No. 
that's what he's not experienced it. Yeah. And you can see that. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. He should have ripped that page out. Mm -hmm. And I think this scene is so well done by Balsam and Perkins. It's so well written. And it's the telltale signs of a liar. He's talking too much. He's giving too mm-hmm. many details. He's going back on what he's already said. Mm-hmm. And he's looking like he's sweating bullets. Yeah. And Arbogast knows he's lying. Yeah. Now, here's where things get really interesting. Arbogast leaves. Norman watches him go. And he's clearly enjoying himself a little bit here. He's got a big smile on his face. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a relieved smile. It's a calculated crocodile smile. Right. So I have to wonder. How much of that behavior was intentional? Was any of it an act? Because even though Arbogast seems to know he's lying, he's also pretty much taking the story at face value. There's no, nothing in his mind that thinks maybe this guy killed her. No, he still thinks that this guy's protecting her. Yeah. And I think he should definitely be more suspicious of Norman. I understand why he wasn't. Man, 1960, that's all you got to say. Mm-hmm. But I also, I can't fault him for believing the mother's real. Right. Of course. Why would he not? Exactly. And I also understand the desire to not want to get the police involved in this, things being bad for business. That still happens all the time today. I'm not excusing or condoning it. That's one of the reasons that like doctor and nurse serial killers in history were able to rack up the body counts that they did. Guys like uh, Richard Cullen in Northern New Jersey, a nurse who killed dozens of people and much like a Catholic priest, just got shuttled around from hospital to hospital, even though they knew he was killing people because they didn't want lawsuits. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Money wins out at the end of the day. Yeah, Richard Cullen was actually an active serial killer at the hospital I was born at. When I was born there. Wow. Okay. Yes. I can see your obsession with serial killers was fated. <laughs> it was meant to be. It all makes sense now. So Norman has the awareness to know that this PI is not going to give up. So he's got to mm-hmm. go. Yeah. And he does. Yeah. And like, it's only half smart because Norman should also realize like, this guy's a PI. He leaves a trail. People know where he's, he went. Yeah. At this point, I think he started getting a bit desperate, even though he shouldn't have, but he got a bit desperate and he yeah, got stupid. Yeah, because like you said, he's never been in this position before. Nobody's caught right. on. He's killed before. Yeah, he's killed before, but he's never been questioned. And the fact that he doesn't have too much real world experience in real life probably got him more on edge. And more yeah, work. and it's this interesting dichotomy between Norman and Marion. So we have Marion, the good person who does something bad and is super stressed about it and acting suspiciously. We have Norman, who's the real criminal, who's able to be calm, cool, and collected for the most part. Mm-hmm. Being a sociopath also helps. Yes, that's the key there. And I think it's safe to say that uh, Psycho here started the trope of She's been dead for 40 years. (laughs) Well, in this case, 10 years. And that's another like mic drop moment for the 1960 audience. When we find out that Mama Bates, Norma, has been dead for 10 years. Yeah. But I have to say with the sheriff, like he tells 
Lila and Sam that, oh, she's been dead. And they're insisting that the mother's still alive. It still takes him a while to realize something is off. He's still dismissing. Yes, he is. And that's because a sheriff in 1960 would look for any excuse to not do his job. (laughs) So according to the sheriff, it was a murder-suicide when the mother found out her lover was married. And I'm calling bullshit on that right away. Why? Oh, please. No, no. Sonny Boy found them in bed. He couldn't handle it. And he killed them both. Yeah, that's what we find out later on. Yes. Even before that, it's just so obvious to me. Before Mm -hmm. we find out the truth for sure. Because Norman was Mother's special boy. And Mother was an angel. Mother couldn't be a whore. So when it turns out, oh, Mother is a whore. Nope. (laughs) Again, we're not calling Mama a whore. Mama's calling Mama a whore. And Norman's calling Mama a whore. Because Mama would have been a whore by her own teachings. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. That also tells us that the sheriff didn't really investigate then. He basically then ended up taking Norman's word for it that it was murder-suicide. Well, Amy, what did you want him to do? Dinner was waiting on the table. It was going to get cold. (laughs) That's the real tragedy. So I love the showdown between Sam and Norman. Mm -hmm. Sam turning on uh, the alpha male energy with this string bean. You know, intimidating him. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Initially, he does try to be very casual and slick with him, but eventually he increased the pressure and he starts yeah, pushing Yeah, it's him. so well done by both actors, the way they're feeling each other out. It's like a dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so great because Hitchcock lets us be ahead of these characters, which builds the suspense even more. Because Sam and Lila think till the very end, that this is all about the money. Right. Yeah. And, you know, what's so interesting, and again, Hitchcock couldn't know this, is that with killers like Bates, money has nothing to do with anything. Mm -hmm. Ed Gein himself lived in total squalor after his mother died. Mm. He didn't have electricity, running water. He lived in absolute filth. Richard Ramirez lived on Skid Row in Los Angeles. And Dahmer's apartment was absolutely filthy. He stopped showering after a while. He only cared about doing just enough in terms of hygiene to keep his job so he'd have the apartment to bring men back to. Right. And Norman's room, much like Ed Gein's room, is closed off just as she left it. Nobody's allowed in there. It's a museum. It's a museum to her. And there's a reason why he does that. You know, he wants to preserve that fantasy, that mindset. Well, I'm sure there's also some fear involved, too, because I don't think uh, Mama Bates, anymore like Mama Gein, was one to really, you know, play with and raise her son. I think her bedroom would have been off limits. Don't touch my things, you filthy little boy. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I think it's just so ahead of its time, because they nail so much of the pathology without being able to fully understand it. Right, yeah. So Norman can't really handle the fact that he killed mother. He loved her as much as he hated her. And that's why he keeps her alive through these delusions. It's his way of pretending he didn't do it. It's his way of pretending he didn't do it. And also his way of making sense of the world. 
Yeah. And in Eddie's defense, Mr. Gein, he did not kill his mother, nor did he have any of delusions like this. He accepted the fact of his mother's death, though he was like completely devastated by it. Mm -hmm. And to Sam's credit, he pushes all the right buttons with Norman. He's more intimidating yeah. than Arbogast. He's bigger, he's younger, and he is emotionally involved in the situation. Yeah. Yeah. He's not playing a tactfully at all. He's pushing him to get a confession about the money. Yeah. But for me, it gets ruined a little bit here at the end because the idea of Norman knocking this guy out is just laughable. <laughs> and he doesn't even hit him, really. He like conks him on the back. Well, that's a movie language, yeah. you know, it's, it's just something that... They didn't know that, how to do it. And so many movies do that. And also, I think it was necessary because then the terror of Lila finding mother and Norman dressed up as mother coming in would have been less terrifying because you would have thought Sam's going to come in and save her if he was conscious. That's true. You know where it is you see so often see that like hit on the back and just go down? Those early fucking James Bond movies. Yes. Constantly. Yeah. Sometimes it's James, it's Connery, sometimes it's others. Yeah. All those movies at that time had that a lot. And even later, so many times you'd see women get hit by a vase or something and they just fall. Yeah. Like dead weight. Yeah. You know, it's, it's too common. I wouldn't fault this movie for that. Yeah. And I just, I can't imagine what people felt when Norman comes through that door with a knife and seeing the yeah. skeleton yeah and he's in the dress he's in the wig mm -hmm. it had to be just mind-blowing it must have been i'm kind of wishing i could have been able to see it at that time with that i know experience. what you mean it's kind of similar in that i was and i know you felt the same way that we felt sad after seeing endgame because we're like we'll never see it again for the first time yeah true and now we come to my favorite shot of the movie. Simultaneously, my favorite shot, the most disturbing shot, the one that lives in my nightmares and always will. <laughs> and it just, I feel like this final shot, it's so amazing because it completely upends the movie. Yeah. And everything that the psychologist said before that gets iffy. Yes. And of course, I am talking about the final close up of Anthony Perkins smiling like the fucking mad hatter yeah that is a classic so many movies and shows have attempted to recreate that fourth wall break staring at the camera and they'll that never smile. do it you you just can't no, top this one it is absolutely bone chilling and the narration is still going on a little bit and that's when you realize just how nuts this guy is because you realize oh mm -hmm. oh there's way more calculation in there than we thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I love that scene. I could watch that scene on repeat. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. I wonder, I mean, he's he's dead now, but I wonder how Perkins felt about that scene because that was really the nail in his fucking coffin, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. True. And I mean, this is why for me, as far as movie villains go, Norman's, uh, Norman's number two for me all time. Mm-hmm. Dr. Lecter will always be number one. Yep, true. Dr. Lecter wouldn't exist if it weren't for this movie. I agree. I almost got mad at myself. I almost said Mr. Lecter, and for half a second, I was like, show some respect, Krista. And I'm like, God, <laughs> no. Okay, so it hardly seems necessary, especially since we mentioned Endgame. We'll still do our Infinity Stone rating here. This is an easy one. 
obviously, this is psycho. It's a six out of six. Yeah, agreed. It's one of those movies that if you have not seen, what are you doing with your yeah. life? And anybody out there who's coming out with their hot takes and, and saying about how this movie is actually awful, if you meet one of those people, just smack them in the head for us, please. And maybe they will fall down just like they do yeah, in Psycho. there you go. <laughs> I swear, I think maybe that's where Star Trek took the Vulcan neck pitch from too. Possibly. You know, it was just lazy, easy enough. Yeah. I mean, you also have Xena's neck, whatever, two-finger acupressure thing that she does. And everybody suddenly starts oh, really? dying. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Okay, so that wraps it up for our time with Alfred Hitchcock. And, you know, he may not have treated his women very well. But you know who does treat women well, Amy? The NWSA. That's right, Amy. Wait, wait. Let me try it. Let me attempt it again. The National Women's studies association annual conference that is right amy finally got it we've only been doing this for two months yes so in just a few more weeks i will be giving a presentation on women's representation in comic book films talking about the spider-verse out in minneapolis so my gofundme for the travel expenses will be active for just a few more weeks thank you so much to everyone who has contributed so far I would greatly appreciate any donations uh, that you guys can make towards the travel, as well as just sharing the campaign on your social media. Yes. And I just finished making her presentation slideshow and it is amazing. You need to watch it. You need to fund it just for that. It's a piece of work. Yes, it is going to be filmed by another member of the panel who has, who has so graciously agreed to film it for me. So we will have that up somewhere for you guys to see making my my like total video debut a little nervous <laughs> yeah she's gonna be fine she'll be brilliant thank you my dear that helps i'm saying it in such an offhand way because i know you're you got this yeah i'm not too nervous about it anymore but you know what does make me very nervous amy is uh twitter instagram any social media in general yeah i agree that can be stressful and you know what helps to relieve stress <sighs> Here we go. She found a way. What? What helps relieve stress, Amy? <laughs> a good fap. I cannot disagree. <laughs> and I think that Norman Bates would have benefited greatly with a few faps. You're not wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we are, are talking about the program we have instituted, the Podcaster Heart Attack Prevention Program. Basically, guys, yeah, social media is unreliable. It's glitchy. So sign up for our email list to stay in touch in case Elon Musk blows up the world. Yes, agreed. The link for the email list is in the show notes as well as the link for the GoFundMe. And on Patreon, for a $5 TOB, have our October Gum Files. Yes, a little Halloween primer there. Lots of fun talking mm -hmm. about Devil's Night and Amy's ignorance of American candy. Yes. And for our $10 patrons, we have our monthly Tea with the Madams episode where we get a bit queenly. Okay, first of all, that's not a word. You're totally making that up. <laughs> Secondly, yes, it is Amy's turn to give me a bit of a history lesson on how the fuck the machinations of the royal family work. Disclaimer, I don't quite know all of it myself either, so... We did the best we could. Yes, we also spent a little time in uh, Barbie Land as well as Jeffrey Tomer's disgusting apartment. Yes, I would take the royal family over him anytime. Thanks so much for joining us at the movies today. I'm Adam Chris. 
And I'm Madam Amy. Let us know what you think about Hitchcock's classic on Twitter and Instagram at the Madam's Pod, and follow us there to get a hint for our next episode. And visit our website, themadamspod.com, where Infinity Stones will always be a girl's best friend. I'm sorry. Fucking mess. Do you want to do it today? Or yes. do you want to push? No, no, no. Okay. I fe- no, I feel other than than just this. Like I feel mm. okay. Okay. Then yeah. All right. Okay. I'm just instinctively for some reason moving away when you're calling. Well, of course like- you are. <laughs>